Hey there, friend. Chances are, if you're listening to the Inventory Genius podcast, it's because, well, you really want to become an inventory genius. If that's you, then let's stop just listening. Let's stop just collecting information. Let's start doing. I want to invite you to grab your copy of the Inventory Genius book. I wrote this book with you in mind. It delivers bite-sized actionable steps that will help you use your inventory to create more profit and keep more cash in your business. This is a really easy to read book. In fact, I designed it specifically for the busy inventory-based business owner. It only takes about two hours to make your way through and you're gonna leave with practical bite-sized steps so you can start implementing the principles of the Inventory Genius Method immediately. Head on over to sierrastockland.com where you can grab your ebook, your audible version, or the printed copy. Enjoy. Hey friend, welcome to the Inventory Genius Podcast, where we work together here to make you an inventory genius. We talk about profit, we talk about cash flow, and we definitely talk about your paycheck. Because at the end of the day, it's all related to your inventory. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inventory Genius Podcast. I am your host, Sierra, and we're going to be talking about inventory today. Surprise, surprise. Um, But I'm really excited about this conversation. I have never had this conversation on a podcast, and I've been podcasting now consistently for over two years, two years, something like that. I don't know. Lots and lots of podcast episodes. Um, You, if you've worked with me one-on-one, or in one of my coaching programs, we have chatted about this, but I've never talked to a guest about it. And I'm really excited for her perspective. So um, I want to welcome Kristen here from Boku today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I, I'm just so excited because I love this topic and I feel so honored to be here and to talk to you about this. It's going to be very fun. So thank you for having me. Yes, it will be an awesome conversation. Um, I can already tell we're going to have a lot to talk about. So (laughs) let's start by who are you? Like, who are you and why should we listen to you? Tell us your story. Ah, Okay. I love that intro. Okay. So I am Kristen Fisher. I am the founder of the gift box brand Boku, and I am also a retail strategy coach, the product to profit coach. So I have over 15 years of experience as a buyer in corporate retail. I actually dabbled in design and product development and really found my way to buying and really loved the strategy side of things. So I'm very much a creative and an analytical person. And so I did that for over 15 years. And about five years ago, I launched my own gift box business kind of as a need for something just as a a passion project. Essentially, I was feeling a little bit drained in corporate And which I feel like a lot of us have that corporate background. And then we're like, I want to do something for myself. And so I was feeling around the time that I got married, I was once that the wedding and all the exciting festivities were over, I kind of felt a little bit sad afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's that, like that little dip period. And I had just gone through not only receiving, being on the receiving end of a lot of gifts throughout my two-year engagement, but also a lot of my friends were going through big life events, whether they were happy or sad or, you know, all the things. And I had found that it was hard to find a gift box that was not overly expensive. And this was kind of before the big boom of gift boxes. There weren't a ton. There were a few kind of people out there doing it really well. And I was like, this would be really fun. Let me just do this. So instead of taking up 
pottery or painting or something, I launched a business to have a creative outlet. And I just fell in love with it so much because I was leveraging my corporate background and, you know, kind of taking the skill set that I had, but doing a really creative, fun thing for me. And I just had it as a little side project that was growing and growing and growing. And then 2020 came and it really exploded. Sure. And I just leaned into the opportunity there and retired myself from corporate in 2021. And I've been doing Boku full-time since then. And the thing that has been really freaking awesome about stepping away from corporate is that I realized truly, I had this clear view of, okay, I have actually been profitable in my business since the first year. And granted, I intentionally had slow growth. It was not, I wasn't going like zero to scale. I was really intentionally growing it in a small way. So I was able to be profitable because of all that experience that I had on the corporate buying side. And I kind of just fell in love with helping other people do the same thing in their businesses. So I now have a second business, which is a retail strategy coaching arm that is just so much fun. And I just love supporting other product-based business owners to basically implement corporate retail, big retail strategies into their small retail businesses to help them grow and scale profitably with that buying background. So I kind of do a couple of different things. Yeah, I love it. But what I do really think is great for our listener to understand is that you're in the trenches. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I just feel like there's so many coaches and consultants and everyone's like, I can teach and I can exchange my wisdom or my thoughts, not even wisdom sometimes, but my thoughts (laughs) for dollar bills, for money, but they've never done it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think even coming just from corporate And then trying to coach and consult people that have a business would be difficult because it's so different when you have someone else's checkbook and you have a team. So my husband's worked corporate forever, works for an amazing company, but I always feel, I I don't now, um, as I've learned some things in my business, but for a long time, I felt a little bitter because I was like, if you need something done, you just tell them, I want you to hire me an assistant. I want to travel to here. I need to go. Like, there's no... And so that corporate space is very different, but you now own your own business. So you can take the good stuff, the strategy, mm-hmm. the organization from the corporate side, and you understand what it likes to, it's like to write the paycheck, hundred <laughs> percent. you know, and you can yep. combine that. So you are, that's why we should listen to you. That that is exactly why I guess I never really answer that. Who are you? Why should we listen to you? That is why I'm in the trenches and I have my own podcast and I do, I talk about that as well. Like this is what I'm, this is what I'm going through right now. And these are the pain points that I have. We were talking just before we hit record, we were talking about just inventory in general. We had a really quick little moment. And I said, I have managed multi- million, million, million dollars of inventory for corporate retail companies, like worked for Urban Outfitters and Land's End and JGL, some major companies. And I could do that like, you know, so efficiently and quickly and easily. And then when it comes to my business, sometimes yeah. I'm like, wait a well, second. Wait yeah. a second. How did that weeks of supply get out of control? You know, it's yeah. things are different when you are owning every step of the process versus a piece of the process. You know, in corporate, yeah. I had you know, the buyers really are kind of the spoke of the wheel and they're keeping all the other, their cross-functional teams going in the same direction and guiding that strategy, but also they're not doing every single thing. And when you own your own small business, even if you have a team, I have a team of a small, but mighty team, but 
they have their own individual roles. I don't have one single person that does all of my buying and all my finances like I do and did in corporate. So it's a different thing. I'm, I am in the trenches very much. (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. So today we're going to talk about something that you feel you can help really help retailers with really, really well. And that is product mix. Yeah. Which I'm so excited to chat about that. So um, when we talk product mix, you know, if you guys have worked with me or been in any of my programs, I talk about the, you know, creating five main categories and then looking at your margin per category and really deciding like how your categories are going to work with you to create the maximum margin. And that's mm-hmm. what we're going to talk about with product mix. So let's just dive right in. Yes. What are some things that you found in your bo- your gift box business mm-hmm. have worked well to create the correct product assortment to produce the profit you're looking for? Oh my gosh. I love this. I'm so, I have like tingles. I love that all the things you just said. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I love it. Um, so here's the thing I would say this has applied to, I think every corporate company I bought for and also in my own business. And also when I work with other small business owners, when you take a look at what's really driving 80% of your sales, it's usually just about 20%, maybe a little bit more than 20% of your offer. And so I think it's really important to identify what is floating at the top, whether they're, you know, items that live all the time, or they are seasonal items. If you're looking at just a, a floor set or a certain time period, but what is really floating to the top and getting really clear on what's up there? What are the actual items themselves? What type of, of things can you do to negotiate or get better margin in those top items? And also what are some of the attributes within those? So this is like really not even digger drilling down yet to the category level, but really just your total, the total picture of your business, because once you, I feel like once you start to see that and you get really clear on what's driving your business, you start to notice that it's pretty consistent. And there's certain things that consistently float to the top of your sales reports. And if you focus most of your energy on making sure you have a lot of profit margin at the top, you don't really have to you know, sell a ton more, your sales revenue doesn't necessarily have to go up in order for your profit to go up. Right. So it's that relationship of, okay, 80% of my sales are really coming from this, this 20% of my offer. You can maximize that and really move the needle in your business without having to work a whole lot harder to sell more product. It's great if they both happen. Kristen, I don't want to do that. It's just too boring. I just, I don't want to sell so many camis. I want to go, you know, I don't want to sell (laughs) just this jewelry. Yeah. So can you give me a different way? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're like, I'm going to keep challenging you. Okay. So then the next thing is, let's say, okay, so you have your framework of the five categories. That's what you were saying when when you kicked that off. So those five categories, you can do that same exercise at the category level and seeing what's moving the needle there and how they kind of go hand in hand. So if you are in a, if we're sticking with apparel, your tops to bottoms ratio, understanding kind of what is moving the needle at the top there and what's maybe not moving the needle. What are some things that are just floating at the bottom and you have a ton of inventory in that you could Mm -hmm. cut off to be able to invest more in that top 20% of your offer. So that not only are you being smarter about how you're investing your inventory in the top, But also it goes back to your time and your time is money and how much effort you're putting into 
whether you're going to market or sourcing or your team is photographing or you're photographing or writing the copy or setting it out on the floor, you know, all the, the time that goes into it, you, there's a lot of times, a lot of just dead weight sitting at the bottom of your, your assortment. And then you just carry it over or you're trying to figure yeah. out how to get rid of it. And it's just like this snowball effect of your inventory. Just, I mean, you know, this probably even more than I do of, of all the work you've done, just it, it snowballs and collects. So I think once you start to look at the individual categories and you see how they play together, you can start to build an offer or an assortment mix that really is cohesive and can tell a whole story. And you can be really targeted on what you're bringing in because you know that just, you need just this amount of choices that actually need to move the needle. And then everything else can be, you know, the night, the, the really cool, I don't know, sweater. That's like a special moment. That's your window look or your front table look or your homepage look. And that's the thing that's going to get people really excited to come in, but you know, they're actually going to buy a ton of camis or they're actually going to buy the thing that's maybe boring. So you can still have those kind of fringe special pieces to round out your collection to be the marketing moment, but you're protecting the core of your business, that top 20%. Yeah. So let's talk about the big guys because they do have something figured out, right? I mean, they have teams, they have history. So I'm just thinking while you're telling this, I'm thinking about Lululemon. Okay. Okay. So I'm sure for them, it's really boring to keep making a line of leggings. I think that's the name <laughs> of the, the legging they're known for the leg, you know, but over and over and over black, maybe because they're bestsellers. They never mark them down. They always fit. Everybody knows about them. So they always keep that stock. But whenever you go into Lululemon, they're going to have a cute new crop top or some new handbag but that's not the bulk. So they're looking at it from a scientific point of view, which I'm guessing that's what you did as a corporate buyer. Like what's going to drive profit and sales, not what's going to make us feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah. You know, (laughs) Um, so talk to us about some of those elements. Am I on track with that and what they, you know, what the big corporate mix is, like what they're trying to accomplish and what can we take and bring it into our small retail? Yeah. Okay. I love this example. I was a pants buyer at Urban Outfitters. Actually, I was a pants buyer at a couple of different places. I love bottoms. They're usually the biggest category for most companies because it is just a foundational item. So those are typically in corporate retail called key items. And typically what the buyer and their financial planner or the, the planning team and allocation team would do is they'd have those key items. So let's say it's the legging, the black crop legging, that individual style would be on its own spreadsheet. And it would have a key item spreadsheet that one style. Like they look at it as like, we are not running out of this item ever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're not running out of this item ever. And we are going to make sure that we are allocating our budget are open to buy to be able to fund that style. And not bring it all in at one time. It's all about a flow. So it's really a key item flow sheet. So you're basically taking, you're drilling all the way down to the black Capri legging. It's on its own spreadsheet by month or by week, depending on how big the business is. And you're looking at, you have sales plans all the way down to that one single style. You have a sales plan and inventory plan based on that. So then you can say, I'm going to promote my black Capri legging in November, that one item is going to be a key item. You get it for $20 off the black Friday sale. You can drill it down and say, I want to make sure I have enough inventory attached to that one style. 
and it's flowed out monthly. So you have different shipments and deliveries coming in. So from a small business perspective, if you're a, a business that is big enough to do so, if you have a key item that really is your hero item in your assortment, you should consider pulling that out and extracting it and just taking the time to look at, maybe it's a quarterly sales plan or if it's monthly, that would be great if you could get to that level whatever you're comfortable with, but being able to isolate that one thing and say, this is, this drives X percent of my sales. So I need to protect that. And I'm going to look at how I can flow my inventory so that my cash flow is spaced out evenly. Yeah. And you're able to really just say, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm always in stock, but I don't really sell a whole lot of that in January. So it's okay if my inventory dips down, but then I'm going to make sure I have a flow in March so that it's fully stocked come spring for the April floor set. You can start to just kind of play with the levels. And then based on that, you can see how much money you have in your open to buy left to spend on the bright purple legging that's going to be at the front, right? But you're protecting the queen first and then you're building the rest of the line out. And if you don't have much money left to buy the purple legging, either you don't bring the purple legging in or you run a little bit leaner on the key item and just know maybe your sales won't be as good, or you might be a little uncomfortable with the sell through, or, you know, you start to just see, okay, from a financial strategic perspective, I only have this much money left over to spend on the rest of my offer. So it helps you to be more strategic about what you're buying with what is left, you know? So good. Okay. So Um, some of you guys are listening right now and you're in my mastermind and we're working on your open to buys. And, um, what I'm thinking of one of you in particular, and, um, we've been working on, this is a high-end women's apparel store. So higher price point items, but she's having a little bit of fast fashion woven in a little bit scared about it. I'm like, but look at those margins and it's okay. Mm -hmm. We can find good quality, fast fashion to weave in. So we've created if you're listening, you know what I'm talking about. We created a open to buy budget just for fast fashion. So it's not for a particular brand. It's not for a particular like top or bottom, but it's its own category because the margins are phenomenal on it. And so we want to make sure that we always have 15% of our sales going to 85% margin and that we're, and we're doing that weekly. So we have mm-hmm. her fast fashion budget where everything else is bought out six months ahead of time. This is a weekly look. So we just take a look. Do we always have enough stock to keep that 85% margin rolling through at 15% of Love the sales? It. Yeah. Love it. So yeah. I think we can be super creative and you can do that yes. with a gift store. You can do it with makers could do it. A wholesaler mm-hmm. could do it. Like what's your best selling item that you wholesale? Always have the stock to create that. What yep. are some other examples um, of how someone could use an open to buy. Maybe if they, um, we have some, we have some listeners that buy big items like furniture stores, um, or fat. So how would you do, how would you ensure that you always have, always have a key piece? What would you look at when it comes to sales data to start to identify what is your queen item? Even if it's Mm. really bigger ticket, slower moving, you know, like a furniture store or yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I think, well, there's a couple of different ways depending on your business. And sometimes I always, you know, when I'm working with somebody on figuring this out for their business, I always say to not slice and dice too much because that can get, you can get into the analysis paralysis pretty quickly. Sure. And the the reason into the weeds and you don't want to be in the weeds, but it's good to identify what does need a little bit more 
you know, depth paid attention to. So sometimes there might not be a key item. I think that this, I think you're lucky if you get those items like a Lululemon legging or, you know, a piece of furniture that's just always there. A lot of times we don't necessarily have that, but there might be a category that you want to protect. Okay. And so another way to look at it is tops or jewelry. Okay. Yeah. Like you're, you're the biggest category is always tops. And then within that, is there a type of top? Is it in the spring and summer, you know, short sleeve tees are the category or the attribute you want to protect. And then in the fall, it's your long sleeve tees. So you can maybe identify a section or a, a an attribute within that category that you want to break out and say, I need to make sure that this is protected. And so you could pull out a, a separate little open to buy, or it could just be a percent of your open to buy or okay. your dollars yeah. where you're just saying, let's just say, I want to make sure that, you know, 15% of my total open to buy for this time period needs to be allocated to knit tops. And you want to really nail down, okay, within that, how many choices do I need? You can kind of create a little plan for yourself within each category section. Yeah. If you don't have that actual one item, because sometimes you don't okay. have that. I wish we all did, but you don't necessarily. I know. I know. And then, <laughs> you know, and I would say too, sometimes it comes and goes. I remember the scarf yeah. fad. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So, oh, I lived through that in my store. It was phenomenal. We could not keep them. I mean, everybody bought them multiple high margin, quick turn, but then that particular queen item went away. Like nobody buys mm-hmm. them anymore. Okay. So you have, there's seasons, literal seasons, and there's seasons of life seasons in our business where we might have something. And then that category or that style, it, it moves on and we don't have the opportunity. So just being really aware, it sounds like aware yeah. of what's going on. I yep. want to talk to you about how we shift our mindset because we know, you know, I know that this produces profit, which creates a paycheck. But when we're in the middle of it, sometimes it's very hard for owners to detach, like to to separate the emotion from the science, but I don't Mm -hmm. like doing it that way. And I'd rather just go with an open credit card. Mm -hmm. Um, I had one gal, she said, Sierra, I love what we're learning, but it's really hard. And I find myself wanting to go back to the old way of doing things. Mm -hmm. So how can you give us some inspiration to shift our mindset and start looking at our business like a business. Mm, I love this question. And it's just, it's just like when you're on a diet and you're like, but I just want that one cookie. I'd feel so good if I ate that cookie, you know? (laughs) So I love this. I mean, I think the very first thing is we're not doing this for a hobby, right? Well, this is a business. So you need to really work on shifting your mindset to CEO business owner versus the, where you maybe started your business. Like for me, I started it as a fun side project, but I don't look at it that way anymore. So you have to view yourself in the CEO seat of your business. And I think the, the first thing is to, before you go to a trade show, before you go to market, before you start designing, before the creative process begins Mm -hmm. and you start to fall in love with the ideas that you're, that are being created in your brain or the things that you see from the vendors or the the brands that you're going to, to talk to do this financial work first and get your, Oh my goodness. Work. This is so good. This, oh, I love this. Okay. So I want to back up. You said yeah. before, I've never thought of it this way before the creative process begins, 
which for some it's going to market is the creative process. Yep. Walking up and down the booths, imagining it in the store. Okay. If we're makers, it might be sitting down with our paint and our, you know, easel, but before the creative, you have to do the financial work. So you set the guardrails before you get, (laughs) before you find yourself off the road. Yeah. I literally use the the word guardrails. That is literally what I will say. Have guardrails for yourself because the guardrails don't mean it is inside these guardrails and you have no wiggle room, but your guardrails tell you if you go outside of these guardrails, you might make a little less money, right? It's like, these are the, this is the framework saying, okay, my numbers, the data tells me I need to have 40 new choices. I'm making that number up. So you need to have 40 choices and you've done the work and you figured out, okay, these are the cat. These are the five categories that I, that I'm filling into. And here's how I'm going to break up those 40 choices amongst the five. I'm just using that as your example. And you kind of can go in saying, all right, this is a, this is a balanced product offer that will be, I'll be covering my top driving styles. My top driving performers will be covered within this. I have room to bring in some fashion and some, you know, things that are going to really be a fun marketing moment are going to round out the offer. This, these numbers, these 40 SKUs are actually going to be the perfect assortment, but that doesn't always work out perfectly. You might be at 45. That's okay. But it's, it's tells you, this is the framework and the guardrails I need to be in. And so before you even do the creative process and fall in love, you can go in, you can say, Oh my God, I fell in love with this one booth. I I need to go back and, and narrow it down because I landed on eight, but I really only have room for five. So I need to make the edit. It helps. It forces you to make an edit. And I think the power of the edit is what really makes a successful brand or retailer because you're helping your customer to make the decision on what to buy. You have to help make that edit decision for them. So if you yeah. can't do it for yourself, how is your customer going to know what you stand behind? Yeah. Right. Oh so my goodness. It's like, There's another yeah. nugget. Oh, Sony nuggets. <laughs> yes. The power of the edit. I just, ah, I feel like we need to have a part two. I really do. Will you come back? I would of like course. to ask you about, I think we need to dive into the mindset, which is also something I have not. Mm-hmm interviewed anyone on because it's so difficult. I like what you said. It's similar to training for an event or trying to lose weight or following a family budget, like everything. I I listen to David Goggins a lot and he always says everything's super easy on the couch, right? So when we sit on the couch and we watch the Iron Man and Kona, we're like, geez, Louise, I could totally be that person. Totally. I'm going to hire the coach. Okay. Everything is easy when we're comfortable with our brain always wants us to be comfortable. So when we start to put ourselves in an uncomfortable situation, i.e. we go to market with a budget and now we love the eight pieces, but we only have, it's how do we, I want to talk to you next time about how do we discipline our mind to be prepared for when the rubber meets the road? I'm clamping my mouth shut because I, there are so many things I want to say on this. So I will hold it in and we'll have another episode. I'm yes. I would love to be back on. Okay. Yes. Okay. We're going to do a part two. So everybody, you have to stay tuned. That's going to be really good because I think now more than ever, if one thing comes to mind that you want to just spit out and share, we can, this will be like a, a pre-show show because I feel like now more than ever, I keep telling you, you have to stop playing store with our store. You've got to get serious about a strong balance sheet, like the economic things that we're seeing going on that are affecting small business. 
some businesses will make it and some of you that are listening will not make it. So I want you to be the ones that will make it, but that takes intention right now. You have to do the hard stuff right now. What's one little thing that comes to mind that you just, you have to do? Uh, okay. So, I mean, I love that you just said we have to stop playing store with our store. I love that. That, I mean, it's so, it's so true because it's, it isn't a hobby. And if you're paying yourself, which you should be, whether no matter how much that is, you're automatically going from hobby to business. And so it's, you know, you are doing it to, because we don't, we don't want to be in corporate. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But I think a mindset thing, oh my gosh, I don't even, I feel like I lost it. Um, I would say a mindset thing would be just knowing that if you see something right now that you love, but you can't necessarily afford it, it doesn't mean you can't bring that in for a future season or yeah. you can't find another way to bring that in, you know, a different version of it for a later season. It doesn't all have to come in right now. That's the beauty of a, fl- a product flow. You want to always be bringing in some newness for your customer. And if you are just dropping little amazing nuggets, you'll always have something that can come that can come in later. So just because you can't buy it right now, that immediate gratification doesn't mean you can't then edit down to the very best version of the things that you love, find the perfect yeah. one, and then bring in a different version of that later. So there's yeah. there's always a future because if you're smarter about it now, there will always be a future in your business. So that's my little nugget. But I love it. Yeah. I think yeah. Dave Ramsey talks about like live today like no one else. So you can live tomorrow, like no one else. And that follows through in our business too. do the hard work, get good at the editing, Mm -hmm. get rid of, you know, think about the, the financial side before you start the creative process. Some of these things that you have shared with us today so that you are in business next year when others around you who were not willing to do those hard things are Mm -hmm. gone. And then you can grab up their customers and, you know, the market share and how it all works. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we want to, we want to survive as people here listening today. So, so good. Okay. So if people are like, I just love what this girl has to say, I need to <laughs> learn more about her. Where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at the product to profit coach. I also have my own podcast product to profit. And, or if you're interested in my gift boxes, you can find me at shop Boku, which is shop B O C U. And I'd love for you to DM me and reach out. Yeah. So two things I want to end with today. First, um, how we connected. Cause I think, did you reach out to me? I think you did. I think, I think I did. Okay. Yes. I want, I've been really planting this seed with everyone you have to learn to make the ask. You have to make the ask. So I follow Jennifer Garner on Instagram and I just love like her reels and stuff. And she had a reel about the, there's a, a baby food product that she is a co-owner of, but the story behind it, the gal started it from nothing in her own little garden. Anyway, she kept sending samples to Jennifer Garner until one day Jennifer Garner was like, okie dokie, let's meet. And now they're partners. And I just shared this with my mastermind group. You have to start asking. And so I wanted to remind everyone, like I've made such great connections with people because they just reach out to me or I reach out to them. So we wouldn't have even known one another if you would have been too timid to say like, oh my goodness, I'm just going to say, Hey, do you want to connect? Like, can we collab? And I was like, we sure can. So (laughs) just a, a little plug here for everyone to think about who you can connect with in your space. Like who can you collaborate with? Um, so I wanted to say that. And then just last, before we jumped on for our interview, you said you had just read my book. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you, what you thought of it. Like listeners who haven't bought it yet. What would be, what did you like? 
give me a book plug. <laughs> oh, I loved your book. And I, I bought it because I knew I was coming on yours and you're coming on my podcast. And I was like, I, I want to read her book. And I love inventory. And just because I have been a buyer for almost 20 years now in totality does not mean I can't still learn things about inventory. I am still yeah. learning because I am a small business owner. So first of all, I loved your hearing more about your story. I didn't know the full story of yours and you have a really incredible background and your ability to pivot and pull yourself up out of a really hard experience. I cannot imagine how hard that that was to go through. It's really incredible to hear that. And so I want to just say that that was really awesome to read. I was reading it on the plane, like powering through this book. And I was like, this is an incredible story. I didn't fully know that. So I loved your story and hearing and that vulnerability of sharing that was amazing. And also look, I have managed inventory in a very large setting and now managing it as it relates to my own QuickBooks and just kind of thinking about how to actually keep track of it in a way that makes sense for me. I'm still figuring that out. Cause I feel like it's different whenever it's my own systems that I'm creating. Yes. And so I enjoyed your perspective on, you know, how that impacts, you know, your, your QuickBooks and how to kind of take control of it that way. So it was a very practical book. And there were a lot of things that I was like, Oh, I love this. Yes. And there were other things that I was like, I didn't think of it that way. That was amazing. So I loved it. I really enjoyed it. And you know what the third, I'm going to give you a third one. I think I read it in two hours and I love that. Yeah, I feel like I like everything I do. It's just like, let's just get to the point. I loved it. It was like to the, there was a great story, but it was also to the point. And I felt like I was able to accomplish something in two hours. And I love that feeling. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good because a lot of us have a lot of work to do. So if you yeah. can sit down and read through something and gain a couple nuggets and take and apply stuff right away, I feel like that's always a win. Yeah. So yeah. So good. Awesome. Thank you for joining me today. I'm excited about part two. So I'm going to connect with you offline. We're going to get that scheduled. That's going to be a mindset conversation that I think is going to be really, really good. We'll bring some of our client stories to that call. And I'm already thinking about it. It's going to be good. That sounds great. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to chat with you. So I'm excited for part two. Awesome. We'll see you again. Hey, thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully you found some really amazing nuggets that you can take some bite-sized actionable steps and apply them. I'd really love for you to do that. And then shoot me an email. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Let me know what you were able to apply something that maybe you had never thought about before that challenged you today. Um, I always love to hear from you because I feel like I'm speaking to you, um, but I don't get to hear from you. So please reach out. Let me know. Hello at crstockland.com. If you haven't bought the book yet, you know it's available on Amazon and on my website. You can get the audio, the printed, or the audible, uh, the audible, the printed, or the ebook version. Um, and those are all available on Amazon or at crstockland.com too. So thank you for tuning in. I will see you again next week. Bye for now. Hey friend, thank you so much for tuning in today to the Inventory Genius Podcast. If there's something that you heard today on the podcast episode and you wanna dig deeper into becoming an inventory genius yourself, I wanna invite you to head on over to my website, sierrastockland.com, where I have multiple ways that you and I can work together on your inventory. I wanna help you with your profit, your cash flow, and your paycheck, because at the end of the day, it's all related to your inventory. So head on over to the website, connect with me, I'll work with you soon. See you then. Hey there, friend. So I've already invited you to grab your copy of the Inventory Genius book. But if you're ready to go a step further and dive in, if you want a quick start to becoming an Inventory Genius, 
then I want to also invite you to grab your seat and the Quick Start to Inventory Genius course. This really easy to digest course is going to include all the tools, spreadsheets, and systems you need to implement the Inventory Genius method immediately in your business. We'll talk about creating an open to buy plan. We'll talk about creating a profit plan. We'll talk about creating a business budget. And then we cap it all off with a private one-on-one call, you and me. Yep, that's right. The Quick Start to Inventory Genius course includes a one-on-one coaching call with me. So you can go through the book. You can go through the Quick Start to Inventory Genius course. You can write down your questions and then you and I can get on the phone and problem solve together. Head on over to sierrastockland.com. Grab your seat at the Quick Start to Inventory Genius course. See you there.